This is Are We Doomed, a podcast from Honolulu Civil Beat. I am your host, Claire Caulfield, here to answer your burning environmental questions. And this podcast has received hundreds of great questions, but we only put out an episode every other week. So we decided to tackle three excellent questions today, starting with coral health, then moving on to drinking water safety, and wrapping up with what you need to know about your personal carbon footprint. Our first question today comes from high school student Emma Clausen Lee. How does human waste impact um, coral reefs and its part in marine like ecosystems? Most human waste in Hawaii is sent to sewage treatment plants, where solids and most harmful components are removed. However, that waste can still have an impact on marine ecosystems. A high-profile court case on Maui found that treated human waste was ending up in the ocean and hurting marine life. You see, human waste contains a lot of nitrogen, which algae loves to eat. But if there's a spike in nitrogen, there's then a spike in algae. Algal blooms and, you know, you just see seaweed starting to smother the reefs. But it also affects, like, the the fish populations and even die-offs if it's really bad. That's Stuart Coleman, executive director of Wastewater Alternatives and Innovations. His nonprofit mainly focuses on how the use of cesspools means untreated human waste and all that extra nitrogen is ending up in Hawaii's waters. So a cesspool is just literally a hole in the ground that's kind of lined with bricks and the sewage from the house goes directly in there and then it just filters out the sides and through the bottom into the ground and into our groundwater. We have about 90,000 cesspools across the state. Half of them, over half of them are on the Big Island, but every island's got large clusters of cesspools. Cesspools are one of the reasons why you're not supposed to go swimming for at least 24 hours after it rains. Rainfall can flush all that sewage into the ocean. The good news is that by 2050, all cesspools in Hawaii are supposed to be phased out. But so far, it's been slow moving. If we think about that deadline of 2050, if we just do the math, we need to start doing 3,000 conversions of a year to hit that 90,000. And right now we're doing about 150 a year. Staying on the topic of water, we turn to Natalia Hussey Burdick. This Civil Beat reader is worried about Red Hill, where the U.S. Navy has been storing fuel in World War II-era tanks that sit just 100 feet above a drinking water aquifer. I was thinking of those viral videos a few years ago of people in Pennsylvania lighting their tap water on fire because of fracking. And to this day, people in Flint, Michigan, still have to carry cases of bottled water because their drinking water's been contaminated. That made me wonder what would it be like if there was a major fuel leak here at Red Hill? And to answer those questions, I called up Civil Beat reporter Christina Jedra. Hey, Claire. Good to be here. So you've covered the controversy over Red Hill a lot. And what do we know about the state of those tanks right now? Yeah, so the tanks have already leaked fuel. About six years ago, 27,000 gallons leaked from the tanks in what the military called a case of human error. A Navy contractor predicted that there is a nearly 30 percent chance of another major leak during any given year. 
But slow leaks can happen too, and they can release several thousand gallons of fuel per year per tank. That's according to the Board of Water Supply. Of course, the Navy disagrees with these estimates and says that the tanks are working great and are not leaking. But the bottom line is that the tanks are lined with steel and concrete. These materials degrade over time, and these tanks are like 80 years old. They're corroded. So if there was a major leak, who would be affected? It would be really drastic. It would affect about 400,000 people from Halaba to Hawaii Kai. Has the Board of Water Supply said how they'll deal with a possible fuel release? Will the water treatment plants be able to handle it? In that scenario, the Board of Water Supply has said it would impose a water moratorium in Honolulu. That basically means shutting everything down. They say a large fuel leak would render the groundwater aquifer unfit for drinking for decades because treatment in that case would be ineffective and costly. And lastly, there's been a lot of grassroots activism and even proposed bills calling on the Navy to remove the tanks or empty them. Why haven't they? Well, their stance is that the tanks are in good condition and that the current location is strategically useful to them. Uh, But they've been super noncommittal about modernization plans. Right now, their position is that they're going to invent a new technology that would double line the walls of the tanks. If they can't crack that code, they say they plan to defuel the tanks by approximately the 2045 time frame. But something interesting I learned this year is that the Navy has actually already replaced a set of leaky World War II era fuel tanks in California. And they're planning another similar upgrade in Washington. So it's definitely doable if there's political will. Christina, thank you so much for your reporting. Thanks, Claire. Our final question today is from Anne Michelle Espera, who has been driving an electric car since 2015. I used to drive a gas-fueled six-cylinder SUV, and I've been curious to know how much impact does one car make in reducing fuel emissions and greenhouse gases? Thank you. The carbon impact of an electric car is entirely dependent on how the electricity to fuel said car was generated. But in terms of personal carbon impact, the Union of Concerned Scientists determined electric vehicles generally produce about half of the emissions from your average gasoline car. And while Anne Michelle's focus on her personal carbon footprint is laudable, it may be misguided. This idea of framing a problem that's caused by a particular industry's products as the fault of individual consumers, that has a long and interesting history and it spans different industries. That's Ben Franta, a JD PhD candidate at Stanford Law School, who studies the history of fossil fuel companies, climate science, and climate denial. As early as the 1950s, internal documents show that fossil fuel companies understood the vast environmental impact of their products and saw that as a threat to their bottom line. If we look at the the history of denial, we see this crop up funded and organized by the fossil fuel industry really around the end of the 1980s. That's when governments got much more organized about curtailing fossil fuel production and use and ultimately replacing fossil fuels with other energy sources. And in response to that regulatory threat, that's when the industry organized the climate denial talking points. As the years went on, it became harder and harder for those companies to deny the hard, verifiable science. So they pivoted their blame to their consumers. 
the genius of the whole strategy is that it relies on a rhetoric of personal responsibility. And who wants to argue against personal responsibility? The idea of a personal carbon footprint was actually promoted by the BP oil company in 2004 when they debuted their own carbon footprint calculator. Individual actions can be helpful, but it's important to keep the source of the problem in mind. What personal actions can do is help inspire systematic change. Buying an electric car shows consumer support for innovative transportation options. And other climate-forward decisions, like switching to veganism, could be a daily reminder that we need to hold big industry polluters accountable, because they're the ones who can actually move the needle on climate change. Visit civilbeat.org slash are we doomed to read more, including information about how cesspools are impacting drinking water. That's also where you can ask me your own question about the environment in Hawaii. I am your host, Claire Caulfield, and Jessica Terrell is my editor. Funky Jams, courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. Are We Doomed? and Other Burning Environmental Questions is a podcast from Honolulu Civil Beat. To learn more about Civil Beat and our journalism, subscribe to our free morning email newsletter by texting CIVIL to 66866.